Welcome to Season 4, Episode 17 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Frank Santo. Frank is a writer and his brand new novel, Birth Parents, is out now from Tortoise Books. He joins me from Boston. Welcome to the show, Frank. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to, uh, to talk to you. Awesome. I've got a really good friend who moved to Boston very recently, but do you want to tell us about life in that city and what we should do <laughs> if we come and visit? Oh, uh, yeah. So I moved, uh, I, I, like, like I was saying before, I, I live in Dedham, uh, Massachusetts. I moved here. Uh, from New Hampshire, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, I'm actually, I should say I'm actually from, I'm from the area originally, lived in New York and then New Hampshire for a while and then moved back. Um, and uh, right during the beginning of the pandemic and right when my daughter was born. Uh, and so, and, and then we had another kid uh, like two years later. So it's been sort of, uh, been very sort of isolated for a while, sort of, you know, in, uh, in baby jail. Um, but definitely it's, you know, it's a great area. I, I, um, was really excited to move back after being away for 10 years or so. Um, and, you know, it's just a really, there's just sort of a really specific sort of, uh, sort of attitude of, of Massachusetts. <laughs> it's hard to explain, but it's, um, it's, it's sort of a wavelength to tap into. Um, but things to, to do in Boston, uh, I'm a huge sports fan. I would always say go to see a Celtics game. Um, but that's sort of the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know the Esplanade, beautiful. There, there's there's a million beautiful things. If you're into history, there's you can do the, the Freedom Trail. You can do uh, mm. a million things like that too. I think the town I live in is was founded in like 1636. Wow. So there's you know every town around there is is from that same era. So there's there's history everywhere. That's so cool. Like in Australia, if something's like 50 years old, we're like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> cool. Um, having two small kids, how do you get time to do anything? Uh, it's tough. I, you know, I used to be, especially with writing, I used to be, that's my daughter actually right outside the door. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully my wife can not, we'll, we'll grab her in a second. Um, the, it, it's tough. <laughs> you know, you work, you, you work all day and then try to write at night and try to be a good parent. Uh, this is also very, very difficult at the time, you know, try to, um, you know, right when they go to bed right when uh right when whenever you get a spare moment um yeah. but it's it's tough we're really in the thick of it now uh mm-hmm. three and a half year old and a one-year-old and so it really helps to have a to have a partner a wife who you really <laughs> really have the same parenting philosophies with and we're sort of in it together and trying to get through the best we can <laughs> yes and as you know as we'll talk about later on the foster care system is not worth it um <laughs> Jesus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier for me than the people I, you know, than the, the setting of this book. So I'm grateful for that for sure. That's right. Cool. Before we talk about your book, let's talk about how you got into writing and what's your, what's your background mm-hmm. in terms of work and stuff? Yeah. So um, my mom is actually a mystery writer. Um, and so oh. I always sort of had that in the back of my mind, which oddly enough, well, actually not oddly if you're a writer, you, this will probably resonate, but she would tell me like, whatever you do, do not become a writer. Like it's a horrible life. <laughs> you're, you know, it's full of rejection and, and it's, it's very difficult to make a living and, and don't do it basically. Um, you know, and I would see her, um, you know, 
you know, face rejection and, you know, looking at the sales of your book, you know, the sort of, the sort of ups and downs that every writer has and just be like, oh, I'm never going to do that. Like, that's, that's not what I want to do with my life. And then uh, as things would have it or as fate would have it, I, that's exactly the only thing I was really interested in, unfortunately, I guess. So, uh, so um, it was, you know, it's not like I, w- I wasn't like, I didn't like always want to be a writer. I wasn't, you know, writing short stories and stuff when I was a little kid, but then, um, it was always, I was always sort of drawn to it and sort of more creative things like music and songwriting. And and then uh, I realized pretty quickly I wasn't that great at that. So I should probably choose something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, just sort of, I went to college and writing just seemed like, uh, you know, something that I could do as well as other people or, or better than other people, you know, in my own sort of uh, egocentric worldview. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is something that I can do um, that I think that I can do well. So I started to pursue it more and more and then just kind of got hooked well i have to ask you who your mom is her name's jan brogan okay <laughs> she's a she's a boss she actually just wrote it speaking of boston she just wrote a book of, uh, a, a non-fiction book about the sort of the history of boston called uh, the combat zone uh, which is about a really specific area in boston that has changed a lot over time it used to be sort of like the uh the sort of like the sort of seedy Times square area of boston that you know, mm. has changed a lot over time so she just wrote a book about that but She's, she started as a reporter and wrote a bunch of uh, novels where the, the sort of mystery solver is the is a reporter. So, uh, so that was my example, I would say. That's so cool. Okay, I'll have to look her up. All right, let's move on to The Birth Parents. It's about a young caseworker working in the foster care system in the Bronx. Before we speak about the plot, do you want to tell us about your experience working in foster care? Yeah, so this was this was my uh, really my first job uh, out of college. I... Uh, moved to New York, and my first job was as a, as a foster care caseworker in the Bronx um, for, uh, I don't know if I should say the agency, did, but anyway, uh, it was, you know, an incredibly intense experience and an incredibly, um, you know, I, I it, it sounds like a re- sort of grim setting and, you know, there are really terrible things that happen and, and it, it's really sort of painful uh, world, but I really love the job, oddly enough, you know, there's really fascinating people and, you know, uh, the job as a caseworker is to sort of be the sort of uh, hub between you know the, the birth parents, the people who are who are hoping to get their children out of foster care, uh, between you know the children who are in foster care and the foster parents, as well as the legal system. Um, and so your role is really to um, you're sort of the guide, the parents guide through the system. But if at a certain point it becomes clear that they're uh, not that they're not going to be the safest option for the child, then you have to. Uh, you know, you recommend to the judge that uh, that's based on all this evidence that you compiled over this whole time um, that they um, they're not going to be able to get their kids back. So it was an incredibly uh, I did it. Like I said, I think I said it already. I did it for about four years, and it was uh, it was the people you meet are are just you know they're going through things that, that I could never at the time I couldn't imagine. You know, it's it was sort of totally different from my my life experience, but you know they're still they're doing the best they can so it's it's you know it was really sort of an honor to get to know these people and try my best to help them and then in certain times you know i did i you know still think about it now like the people who i had to go up to the judge and say um you know they're they're better off being adopted by these other people you know it was a sort of a heavy thing for a 25 year old with no uh no idea what he was doing to to do but um that that was the job and you stayed in it for four years, which I think entitled uh-huh. you to like at least long service leave because nobody stays in those <laughs> kind of jobs for that length of time. Right. But I can tell why, you know, 
this is something that would resonate so strongly with you because like I know like working adjacent to that system at times mm -hmm. like some of the stories you hear some of the people you meet are just like they stick with you for so long oh god yeah yeah, yeah. and it's just you know like I said I still still think about it all the time and obviously I wrote a whole book about it it's been 10 years writing the book so it's a little, yeah. I guess a little uh definitely a formative definitely a formative thing but it's you know if you if you're a writer and you're interested in people and what makes people work it was a it was a fascinating place to, to be for all that time yeah well let's talk about the plot of the book I don't want to give too mm -hmm. much away because I feel like I don't want to spoil it for people but generally it revolves around a young foster care worker who I assume is a stand-in for you um <laughs> and he's like a little bit more incompetent I was a little more competent than, <laughs> than he was I hope uh but you know who knows, who knows? <laughs> So basically what he does, he attempts to reunite. He's got this obsession about reuniting this particular mother, Margarita, with her kids. Do you want to tell us a bit about the setup of the novel and your central mm -hmm. protagonists? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the actual real life sort of lends itself fairly well to a sort of dramatic plot line. So uh, I don't know if the law has changed, but when I was when I was working it, it was if a parent, uh, from the time a child came into foster care, the parent had uh, basically there was a 22 month period and um for 15 if there's any like sort of uh 15 month stretch within that 22 month period where the parent didn't have the kids then it was the foster care agency's job to file what's called the termination of parental rights so basically the parent has 15 months to get their children out of foster care um the parent at that time is you know facing whatever you know pretty difficult hurdles whatever barriers brought them to foster care in the first place are still there. So the parents usually struggling or often struggling with, you know, substance use uh, disorder. Uh, uh, they don't have a place to live. There's usually a domestic violence uh, situation and, um, you know, just and mental health. There, there's so many factors that they are, that they are tasked with overcoming at the time. Um, so the, and it's the case, like I said, the caseworker's job to sort of guide them through that, but also if they can't be guided to to file that termination part, right? So um, the point of the, when the novel picks up the character, the foster care caseworker has been in this job for too long, which is, uh, you know, doesn't take that long for it to be too long, but it was, mm -hmm. it was in, in the novel, I think it's, it's between four and five years. Um, and, and is just sort of so desperate for a win and so desperate for, you know, to, you do this job because you want to, you know, make an impact on the world or you want to help people. And then four years in, you realize, you know, the circumstances that you don't really have the power to help anybody that you thought you did. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's, he's sort of at the end of the rope when the, when the novel starts um, and he, he sort of, that's why he fixates on this one uh, case and it's her, you know, her, her, she, she's lost her two children to the system and her um, she's trying to get them out of the system. Basically. Um, and what the, it's from the first person perspective of the caseworker um, where he, it's his job to sort of determine what's really going on. He doesn't have all the information and, you know, does this woman have, you know, is she going to be the safe, uh, is her sort of, is she capable of getting it together um, in order to give these kids the, the life that they deserve? Um, and, you know, he's, he has his own personal uh, demons uh, as well and sort of trying to and, and also struggling with, you know, is he even the person to make this call? Um, is, 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 is it fair that she's facing all these circumstances? You know, there's, there's just so many things that, that this caseworker has to decide. And really the reader is in that position as well because um, they don't have all the information. When I, when I, you know, 
earlier drafts of the book had it from the sort of rotating third person perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sort of over time realized that it's, uh, you know, more sort of true life if, if it's, it's sort of a mystery. Um, and, you know, you can never really know another person totally. And that's sort of what his job is to do uh, just for the, in the interest of the kids. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background of this book as well, um, because he kind of steps at steps over that line. And I was talking to you about this before, mm-hmm. about how easy it is to, I guess, to to find that line and and where you step over it. But this caseworker clearly does step over the line of what's, I guess, mm-hmm. inappropriate and what's not. And um, he finds himself just increasingly drawn into this case, but he's just thrust against the bureaucracy of the system and also some of her background. She keeps on fucking mm. up as well, which doesn't help her yeah. situation. But um, there's also like you know her ex uh, is in the is in the book as well as a background character, and you know we're not quite sure what his intentions are or how mm. that's going to work out for the caseworker. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about how the story unfolds without giving anything mm-hmm. away? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's tough. Yeah, so it's. Um, but like you said, that line is, that's sort of the sort of one of the driving forces of the book is, you know, what's, what's okay to do in the name of, of what you think's right and, and, and what's not, and what's, you know, what's the sort of difference between ethics and morals and what's the, um, it, it's really a book in the gray area between a lot of, you know, a lot of different things going on. Um, but yeah, so over the course of the book, um, she's fighting to get her children out of foster care and it's sort of, you know, the reader and, and like you said she keeps screwing up and that really comes from you know that's that's what it's really like when you're the caseworker you're you know this person tells you how much they love their kids and how much they want to get them out uh, you mm-hmm. know do what's right for them and then at the crucial moment you know oftentimes you know they're they're not there or and you just never really know why and you're just like mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. you know is there you know I, I i saw them and how much they love their kids i saw how much their kids love them and yet still you know, I know how much it means to this person. I've spent so much time with this person. We talked about this so much, and then still, you know, it doesn't. Um, they, they, for whatever reason, couldn't come through when it really mattered. And so that's sort of the novel. Sort of invested. That's sort of you know what was in my mind the whole time writing it is like, mm-hmm. what was it that I never knew that was causing this to happen? Um, and you know, you don't want the, the the sort of depressing answer to be, oh, maybe they didn't really, maybe this mother really didn't love her kids because it's, mm-hmm. it's more complicated than that. Um, but but you know you have to you have to reckon with you know in some cases maybe that is the case so um, you know as the, so the plot unfolds so over those fifteen months so she she's um, she's you don't know if she is trying to win him over using her own sort of you know she Margarita is a very intelligent you know all the people that I work with were were very intelligent um, and she's she's really trying to work the main the main character's name is Lee. Um, she's trying to sort of win him over by any means as well. Um, and so see, seeing that he's this sort of, you know, this sort of sensitive guy who really wants to make a difference, she can use that to her own advantage mm-hmm. um, while also, you know, you know, saying her own advantage, but really it's really, she's trying to get her children out of foster care. It's not like, you know, some, um, you know, it's a totally understandable thing. Um, and so I'm trying to speak without giving much away because it gets a little, um, like, like I said, it gets into the gray area a little bit where, you know, there's, there's also a lot in the, the power dynamic between them. He's a he's a, a you know white guy from the middle class setting who can really leave at any time he wants, and she's you know, a, a woman from the Bronx who grew up in foster care, um, and he's you know he's sort of 
in charge of what happens to her life. And so mm. what, how does that impact the, their relationship? Um, how does it impact the dynamics between them and, um, and the dynamics between her and her children? Um, and so, so there's a lot, there's a lot to do with that, but you know, the basic plot is she's trying to get her children out of foster care. Mm. He's trying to help her. And, and over the course of that, the case, seeing all the things that go, you know, that's, that he can't possibly understand, you know, mm. there's, there's a lot of drug use. There's a lot of, uh, uh, mental health issues. There's, um, there, there's all the while, uh, her children's lives are sort of going awry when they're in foster care as, as often happens, you know, it's a, I think it's a system built with good intentions, but obviously, you know, when there's people who are the kids' parents in charge of their, um, their fate, um, it, you know, foster parents are, are dealing with a lot of issues too. Um, and, and, you know, most of them are doing their best, but, um, that's the, the kids need a lot of, a lot of support and that's not always possible. Um, so, so hopefully I, I did ramble a little bit there, no. <laughs> Try not to give too much away with the actual plot. No, it makes total sense. Cause like it is, and I don't want to call it like a mystery or a thriller or anything mm. like that, because I don't think that's it. Uh, it's also not a bleak novel. It's actually really funny in parts. Um, mm. and it does. Like I'm, I'm going to draw the obvious connection to Sergio de la Pava's A Naked Singularity mm-hmm. because I think having this character who is wanting that win, like he said, like he really wants mm-hmm. to have this um, to, I don't know, like almost to to be able to like exit the system and to go, this is, this uh-huh. is, I've done something good and now I can leave. Yeah. And it kind of leads on to this idea and he brings this up in the book, Lee. He, you know, he talks about the fact that he's, he's not a white savior, but like he kind of, in a way, I guess he kind of is, but like he's, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, like he's kind of, you know, he, he does want to be that hero. He does want to do something good, um, but that kind of undoes him as well. Yeah. And that's, and that's definitely, you know, maybe not the time to admit this, but that's definitely true. Like that's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I joined, when I started working this job, I hadn't really thought about the whole the racial dynamics that much i was just i sort of thought you know if i do a great job then um then does you know it doesn't matter but obviously that's you know some people would say that's a naive standpoint as well and i wouldn't necessarily disagree you know there's um you know as i was working there i was sort of becoming more uh attuned to those dynamics and sort of and so you know over the course of those four years it was like really am i the guy to be doing this or like, <laughs> like is this um is this fair that i'm here who am i to say you know who am i to judge anyone really um so even though it was my job so it's tough a really tough setting and and you know the white savior thing is definitely um it's a huge element of the story and Mm. um yeah and the the you said something about it being funny and a lot of that is because like a lot of the people that i work with like a lot of the parents and a lot of the kids they just were funny like they just made funny like they would make me laugh in the middle of like really heated conversations just with like little you know, phrases and the way they would talk. And I'd really tried to, I tried to capture that in the book, really. That's mm-hmm. try to, that's where the humor comes from. It's just trying to capture uh, sort of the essence of a lot of people that I, that I met along the way. And also mm-hmm. while sort of realizing, I think some of the, a lot of the humor probably comes at the, uh, the protagonist's expense as well, just because um, sort of realizing over the course of the time that I was there, how absurd it was that I would be judging anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's where sort of that humor comes from, I think. Yeah, I think the one of the interesting things that you do in this book, and I'm sure you would have felt it like working in the system, uh, is that a lot of the people who work in the system, and this is exactly the same in Australia, mm. is that they're young and they're impressionable and they want to make a difference. 
and then they get into a system they don't really understand and they're trying to change lives that they don't really have any experience from that standpoint. And your character yeah, yeah. is this perfect model for that. Yeah, he's just, you know, he was, I, at the, you know, I was well-meaning, but I was like, a, you know, a 24-year-old idiot. I was just trying to do yeah. my best, but I didn't know what, what the best was. I, it was. This comes through a lot in the books. I, mm. you know, who, who am I to, to decide anything? I didn't even, you know, my own life was like in the book, Lee's like sleeping on an air mattress and, Mm-hmm. uh you know playing mad like playing nintendo every night you know, <laughs> sort of what it was and then i'm what am i and then uh i've said it a few times now but really who who am i to judge anybody that's really um that's a big theme in the book for sure yeah in the in the bronx i imagine that the the numbers and i'm sure this is the same like all mm-hmm. across america but the numbers of kids from black families i assume who are in this system mm-hmm. is probably massive isn't it yeah, every family that I uh, I didn't deal with any uh, white families the whole four years mm-hmm. that was there. It was, uh, I mean, I think it a lot of it reflected the demographics of the Bronx, which is uh, mm-hmm. you know heavily uh, Hispanic and black. Um, and so, yeah, it was certainly an element. It wasn't, you know, with the people I work with, we would mostly it'd be sort of a joking thing. You know, we kind of joke about it more than anything. Um, but I'm, you know, I don't know what it looked like from their perspective. I'm sure they're like, "Who's this white guy coming in?" And, Mm-hmm. Telling me I can't see or supervising me when I'm with my children. That was a bizarre dynamic. Um, and, you know, uh, something I think about a lot, you know, what was that all about? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was right or wrong, uh, mm-hmm. but that's what I wanted the book to explore. Yeah. So tell me about like the process of writing this book, because you've told me that it, it took you 10 years to write, but do you want to tell us about that yeah. process and the changes that took place over that time? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I was just obsessive. Uh, I started, uh, so I, I was in that job for four years. About two years in is when I started writing. Um, I didn't go, uh, you know, I didn't take the job to, you know, for something to write about. It was more like I always wanted to be a writer, but I felt in, uh, you know, that I didn't, I didn't really deserve to write a book. You know, what did I know about the world? I hadn't, uh, I hadn't gone through anything that would make me feel worthy of, 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 of being a writer, really. So I took this job, sort of thinking like, you know. That will, that's that'll be outside my comfort zone. That'll make me into a different type of person. So maybe then I'll try to something, you know, not about that, but down the line. But anyway, um, two years in, I started. I sort of came back to the idea of like you know, maybe I, um, you know, dealing with all this stuff every day. I kind of need some kind of outlet. So I would go in. Uh, I, I would lock the if my roommate, my old roommate, listened to this, he'll laugh because I would go in and. Um, uh, to my room in New York and, and lock the door and t- turn the lights off. And for some reason, that was my, somehow that became my brain process and, mm-hmm. and do it like two hours every night. Say if I do two hours every night, then eventually something will come out. And then, mm-hmm. so I did that, that writing process for, you know, to get a first draft out uh, those two years where I was still there. And then I, I eventually left when my wife went to grad school and I moved with her and finally left that job. And, you know, did something completely different but i would still write every night for i was just in that habit of writing for two hours every day um and then that really continued um well anyway so the first after the first three years i had a draft and i got an agent off of that draft and then she was great like she was she she stuck with me through a lot more than most agents would have um but the original sort of formulation of the book was a third person uh really tight third person rotating perspective and so there were scenes from Margarita's point of view and from mm-hmm. uh, the father Ty's point of view and from the children's point of view and from the caseworker's point of view. And then, you know, I sort of realized and a lot of people rightfully told me like, 
you know, I couldn't, and it later became a really, you know, really the crucial message of the book is I couldn't, I couldn't know what life was like from their perspective. Mm. And, and to try to write it from their perspective was just, you know, it, it just wasn't ringing true. And so, um, and so I, I scrapped that whole version and rewrote the whole thing from first person, uh, for the caseworker's perspective. So now the reader sort of is the caseworker saying they, they don't know all the things that the caseworker doesn't know. And it's sort of them to decide or not decide, but sort of, you know, think about that world from the limited perspective that anyone can think about it. Um, and so those first three years got the agent, everyone rejected it. And I rewrote the whole thing. <laughs> and then, uh, that so that took another that took another three or four years and then still wasn't good enough and, and then i rewrote it again first person perspective um sort of re and really dialing in on the themes that had sort of been gradually coming up but i hadn't really thought through enough i probably didn't have enough distance from the beginning because i was so close to it and when you have you know once you've moved on a little bit and you can look at life from you know a little askance uh it started to become more clear and then um Finally, I found tortoise books. Um, I found uh, sent sent them an email, and and then you know a year later, Jerry responded and said, "Let's talk about it." And then it was another um, another you know six to nine months of, of edits and really great edits that I'll say you know I've never worked with a better editor than tortoise books um, to really shape it more. And and now here we are. And I think it's you know it took so long, and at the time it was so frustrating, and and you know every rejection you get it's like you know you think it's the end of the world but i see now that it really wasn't ready until now like it, you know mm -hmm. it really needed to be rejected uh, so many times for me to really find out what it was about and really sort of be mature and old enough to to get to the heart of it and, and actually in a lot of ways once i had my own kids uh, a lot of it clicked in a little bit mm -hmm. more because you know part of it was you know i was a 25 year old single person judging parenting Mm -hmm. which is uh you know and it's a crazy thing to do really <laughs> now i see and now i have my own kids and you know you can actually um you know you still can't put yourself in someone else's shoes but you know you can sort of on a parent-to-parent -parent level relate and say you know what must what must this life have felt like mm -hmm. what must this have felt like to you know if someone were here you know if i was with my kids and some guys in the corner taking notes you know how would that make me feel mm -hmm. um so that really that that helped a lot too i should say yeah, Tortoise Books are putting out some fantastic work at the moment. And the cover on this book is one of the best covers I've seen for a long time. It's just such a great cover. Yeah. Yeah, I can talk a little. I can say I had almost, I had little, I had nothing to do with it. I, um, I you know, I had, had said to, to Tortoise in the beginning, I was like, oh, I have some ideas. Like, let, let me send you some. And I uh, was working with a, a friend of mine who's an artist. And we, you know, we came up with some of our ideas and sent them over. And, and Jerry was like, yeah, these are, these are interesting. And then he just sent back this and he was like, how about this? It's like, oh, that's way better than what I'm sending you. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it, it's just, it's just all them. And he, it's like, it totally gets, like, it, it's, it's supposed to be like the waiting room of an agency. And mm. it, that's exactly what it looks like. You know, that's yeah. sort of, um, yeah, it's, he just nailed it. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's perfect cover. <laughs> I also love the um, quote on the cover. Um, I'm going to read it out. I believe it will be remembered as one of the great novels of the first quarter of the 21st century. Um, and that's from Ernest uh, Hubert. Um, and that's just, I think that's probably one of the best blurbs that I've seen in a book. Yeah, long time. I know we were laughing about this before. I, went, uh, I, I saw that and I was like, are you, are you sure? Like, that's like, that's like, thank you. But it's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm very lucky to have someone who likes it that much. I should, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It's very cool. All right. I should ask you what you're working on next after this book. Yeah. Uh, so um, 
we were i'll take this quote from you we were talking about it saying like the first book is the one you have to write and then to open it up for the the um the ones you want to write i don't I, i've been working on something for about a year and it's in it's just it's just terrible but i still keep working on it every day yeah. i think like the um I, i'm at my best when i'm writing when i'm writing about something that kind of scares me or makes me uncomfortable mm -hmm. and then it sort of interests me enough to sort of want to get to the bottom of it so anyway um one of my weird hobbies, not it's not that weird but one of my hobbies is reading uh love letters so like mm -hmm. love advice columns um and something that i keep i, I kept seeing for you know, when I started writing the thing I'm writing on now with people, people in open marriages who are looking for um, like love advice on it. Mm -hmm. And so um, you know, I think that's sort of most, you know, this is maybe this makes me a boring person, but like the only thing I really care about is like my wife and kids. And so I was thinking like um, what would scare me the most would be if I were in that situation. And so I'm, I'm writing a book and also where I'm from in Massachusetts, it's very, um, very Irish Catholic, very sort of um, not narrow-minded, but it's sort of like there's a sort of particular way you're supposed to live your life, and if you're out, out of that, you're sort of mm. what's the um, you know people are going to look at you a certain way. And so, anyway, it's it's a it's 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 so far it's a, it's a kind of domestic novel about a couple in an open marriage in a very uptight part of Massachusetts, um, mm. and so it's called Notes from an Open Marriage. So far, uh, I'm not in one, you know, I and but I just think it's a fascinating situation that's rife for a lot of um very human situations so like i said it's terrible in my current state so i don't know if this is a good pitch for any anyone who might be interested in representing me but it's um it's uh it's it's coming along a little bit and i think that there's a lot of um you know if you take it i'm kind of joking about it but if it's a situation that you take really seriously and and, and think of what it must be like to actually be like this why would you i'm sure you know i'm sure people in those situations are also families just as important to them but they're you know so so what is it like what does it mean to be in that situation what is that mm. so that's what i'm trying to write um without trying to trying to fight my inner massachusetts judgmental person to write it in a humanist and understand it way okay that sounds cool all right <laughs> good luck with it i hope it you know yeah, we'll see i might it might be it might be scrapped at some point but okay <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to your gateway books. What were some of the books that opened the world mm -hmm. of literature for you? Yeah. So the first, I was thinking about this uh, a lot. The first, first one that I can really remember, um, not so much to be a writer, but to be a reader. I, I my sort of childhood and and you know in high school, I was just sort of thought of myself as sort of a sort of an average person. Like, you know, I like sports. I like sort of everything that all the other teenage guys like. And then we got assigned Pride and Prejudice in high school, and I and everyone was sort of making fun of it, like, oh, you know, why do we have to read this stupid book about you know, 18th century relationships? And I was like, yeah, yeah, but like, in privately being like, wow, I kind of love this book. <laughs> I got like, I'm like really like sucked in by this romance of this in, in England. Anyway, so I that sort of made me realize that I that I that I really love reading Pride and Prejudice, assigned by my English teacher. Um, and then from there, I started reading a lot more, you know, seeking out more and sort of thinking myself about myself in a different way as someone who loves reading. Um, and then the book that made me want to be a writer, uh, I think I was 17 or 18. It was uh, Sometimes a Great Notion by Ken Kesey. Um, and it's uh, it's just one of those books. I have, have you read that book? No, I haven't. Oh, so it's. It's set in like Oregon and it's about like a like logging right, like a, a, a union dispute between logging families in Oregon, something I had no like, you know, interest or understanding of whatsoever. But it's just written in such a 
sort of free flowing and radical way. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's multiple perspectives at the same time. There's like, you know, different characters. It goes into each character's mind in within the same sentence. It'll flip. It's just like it's sort of anything goes type of prose, mm-hmm. um, which sort of made me, for whatever reason, it just clicked. It made me think like, you know, you can do anything with a book. You can make, you can make any topic interesting if you take it seriously enough and you, and you go deep enough. Um, and that was just kind of, that was really exciting to me at the time. So, um, you know, pl- I, I read it again when I was like, not that long ago and it didn't it didn't have the same effect on me as it did when i was that age but maybe it's just the age of things in but it was i was like electrified when i read sometimes a great notion and so that was that was definitely a gateway for me wow okay cool i will have to read that that sounds good there's a good there's a good movie with paul newman if you don't have time <laughs> paul newman based on it yeah okay that's cool doesn't like have quite the interiority but he's great in it so <laughs> okay awesome all right what it, i didn't realize like i know like one flew of the cuckoo's nest but i didn't realize mm-hmm. he was you know had other he only other I, books out. I think he wrote only two i think he only wrote flew, one flew of the cuckoo's nest which i also love and um and sometimes great notion i think there was one a, a, a little bit later but in his in ken kesey's real like you know when he was sort of at the center of the culture i think those are the only two that really broke through but uh i love them both interesting all right well let's talk about what books are you currently reading or have you recently enjoyed or are you looking forward to yeah, so uh, I've been I've been on a little bit of a of a cold streak with fiction, but something that I read recently that was great, uh, also on Tortoise, was uh, Broken Bottles by Anthony Colanda. Um, it's about a, a um, it's about a kid growing up in Chicago. I've never been to Chicago. I don't know anything about Chicago or what it's like, you know, growing up on the streets of Chicago. But it's just it was such a vivid and uh, you know sort of effortlessly vivid description of of it's a building Roman of of a kid basically who's. Um, abandoned by his parents and who sort of has to make his own way in the world and find love and all those kind of things. And it just, I read it in like a day. The writing was just so, uh, it, it was so, it was unique, but also universal. That That's definitely one of the better fiction books I've read in a long time. Um, nonfiction, I'm reading a great book now called God, Human, Animal, Machine. It's about, um, it's about sort of what are the implications for I, this is another thing that I'm not naturally interested at all in at all. <laughs> I just picked up the book and started reading it. It's great. It's about um how what are sort of the implications of artificial intelligence and um and uh all these sort of advances in computing. What does that mean for how does that impact like the concept of the soul and the concept of heaven? All, all this it's written by a former Christian fundamentalist who then became I think she's a writer for Wired now. She's like a tech a tech writer. Anyway, it's a fascinating book. Um, okay. God, human, animal, machine, um, and then what I'm looking forward to. So I, um, I had this sort of weird compulsion. I was, I would be really nervous that someone else was going to write a book about the foster care caseworker in the Bronx. <laughs> always sort of be, as I've been coming closer to the to the date, been like googling that, and then I sort of because I came across this book. It's coming out. It's not coming out till um, March or next year. It's called Victim by Andrew uh, Andrew Bariga. I think is how you pronounce it. Um, I sent him my book because I, I just found him and, and he read it and has been very, very nice to me about it. But um, it's it's about someone from the Bronx who uh, sort of embellishes their their background. This writer from the Bronx uh, and mm-hmm. embellishes their background to sort of get more sympathy to um, rise up more in the, I think I think it's in the literary world. Anyway, so I, I'm just excited about it because it sounds, the um, the idea of it sounds very interesting. Okay. Cool. And you beat him to the punch as well. Yeah, this is probably, you know, he's actually from there, so he has more lessons to write than I do. <laughs> we'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Frank Santo. 
Is the grind of bureaucracy getting you down? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to meet lots of interesting people and get paid well? Then why not join the international crew of BTZ Arms Dealers? Great pay, excellent conditions, and you'll have a blast. Send us your resume through today. We're back on Million Zero. It's time for Frank's Desert Island Books. You know, I sort of thought of this question as sort of like, what are the books that I've loved the most and would mm-hmm. want to be surrounded by like, as I'm dying? I guess, you know, as, a, as there's no hope in what would sort of give me uh, what I would take solace in. Um, so the first one would be Catch-22. That was, I read that in college. It's probably a kind of basic answer, but I just loved that book when I first read it. Just sort of the humor and the absurdity combined with the, um, you know, what it has to say about bureaucracy. Like, obviously, this sort of resonates with my book, but um, I love Catch-22. Um, from there, uh, 100 Years of Solitude, another big book. Um, but I just have a memory of reading. It's like somewhere in like the last 100 pages of, of 100 Years of Solitude where you get into sort of like a hypnotic, Mm. state reading and you sort of feel like you know i'm not religious but you sort of feel like god is talking to you through through this guy's book mm. uh, so I, that's another one um i love grand green so i had to put i did uh quiet, quiet american mm. um uh I, I love the end of the affair by him i, I love a lot of grand green books but that would probably be my favorite one um another one uh, uh the cat i never know if i'm saying his name right but casual we should grow um remains of the day Mm-hmm. I uh, I sort of cribbed that structure a little bit for my book. The the you know looking back on things you've done and, and thinking about are they right or are they wrong or um, what's the what are the things that I was too obtuse to notice at the time but then resonate more as you get older. Um, I, I love I, I love remains of the day. Um, I wanted something that was funny or like something that was just funny to try to try to you know as I'm on this desert island amuse myself with. There's a book I read. Uh, have you ever heard of the Flashman series? No. So it's it's a it, they're written in like they're British books are written by a British writer and I think in like the fifties or sixties. The whole premise is that it's like this this colonial soldier who uh, who um, not colonial a British soldier who is one he's like a complete brute and like an idiot basically and a complete fool. But his one superpower is whenever he's and he's, he's a huge coward. Whenever uh, he's in a situation where bravery is required, he 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 chickens out but his face like his face transforms and so he looks very brave and so he keeps getting promoted even though he's just he just runs away every time the fight happens and he somehow gets away with it this this whole series is like kind of there's like five or six of them they're very funny um so (laughs) that's my one funny book um then uh i love of human bondage by uh somerset mom uh that's another build on drama i think it's set in the early 1900s late 1800s but that was just a uh, I could have said that as a gateway book too. It's just a very human story of someone growing up and, and learning more about the world. Um, I love Kafka, so I put the trial, another sort of take on bureaucracy. I guess that's sort of a theme. Uh, now I work for a giant healthcare system, so I sort of see some of that as well. Um, Brave New World. I love Brave New World. Mm. Um, I think that's of all the dystopian books I've read, that's the one that seems brings the most true and I think predicted the way things are, sort of people entertaining themselves. Uh, death um i think he was the first one of the first people i've read to really go along with that um 
this is a, the next one's a writer that I discovered really only to impress my wife, and then she ended up not caring. But she's uh, she's Czech, and her father is from Czech Republic. So I got into Milan Kundera. You and I oh, wow. talked about tweeted a little bit about this, yeah. and so I uh, I I I love I ended up reading like five or six of his books. Choosing between either the joke or the one everybody would like by hand on bearable likeness of being, but I love Milan Kundera. Um, and then, like I said, I, I uh, told my wife, and she's like, I don't even know who that is. I don't care. <laughs> 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 I cut all these great books out of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, 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 I love Ishmael Reed, so I also added Mumbo Jumbo. It's about sort of the, uh, the it's like a real kind of satirical, ironic take on the spread of jazz through America. Um, mm. And but and, and what that means for race relations. It's very. It's also a very funny book. Um, and then I think I might have said ten already. But one other person that I would want to. Well, I love. I'll say quickly. Everyone's read Madame Bovary and Anna Karenina. I love those two books. And the one that other people might not have read. I love uh, Thomas Bernhard. Mm. And so I would put either Extinction or Correction uh, by him. On I love. I love both of those books. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, wild style of incredibly long paragraphs, but somehow somehow readable <laughs> yeah i've got to i've got to go back to some thomas bernhard there's a few i haven't read but um uh, i just I loved his works i just it's like being inside the mind of like just a complete maniac <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's very fun to read and somehow make salient points along the way so yeah yes um yeah i'm thinking about my milan tendera collection because i <laughs> i went through a stage where that he was the only author i read um, I think really, I went yeah, through just, everything for just, I don't know, probably a year. And yeah, he's just unbelievable. So sad that he died earlier the, in the uh, Yeah. At least he had a long, well, he was, he was, he was getting up there. Age, something? Least, yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, yeah, I, um, I, I texted my father-in-law, like, oh, it's so sad that he died. And he's like, have you even read him? Like, why have you read me? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, I love him. I, I swear. I'm not lying. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, I should let you go um, and enjoy your evening with your kids <laughs> or your evening yeah, away from your kids well, if you get a chance. one way to, to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, before I do, do you want to tell us where we can go and pick up Birth Parents? Because I really loved it and also where we can get in touch with you online. Yeah. Um, it's available through uh, through Tortoise Books, uh, the, their, their website. I think it's tortoisebooks.com. Uh, you can order directly from them. You can get it at, um, you know, through any of the major online retailers. I've been uh, furiously emailing bookstores around my area and in New York, and a lot of them say they'll 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 carry it. Um, mm. So hopefully that's 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 true. So I think it'll be available in, in a fair amount of places or you know, online copies of that place. Yeah, and I saw like um, a, a lot of Australian retailers seem to be selling it as well, which is great. Really great, yeah. great. Yeah, it it got a really nice write up uh, from Booklist in August, and I think that ho- hopefully that's helped. And mm. I think you know, I, I think we'll see. Uh, but I, I hope people like it, and I hope. Um, you know, I hope people, if you hope people get what I was going for, let me know. <laughs> cool. Um, and then I, I have a Twitter. I have like forty followers, so I don't even know if it's worth saying. But I never tweet anything. But I, I'm uh, Frank Santos thirteen. So. And you have a website as well, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, FrankSanto.net. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and the book is fantastic. So congratulations on that. But thanks for coming on the program and chatting. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you. Thanks once again to Frank Santo. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on X and Instagram at beyondzeropod, and you can email us at beyondzeropod at gmail.com. 
Don't forget to support this podcast by heading over to patreon.com and searching for Beyond the Zero. We'll be back with the next episode very soon.